Welcome to the Better Doctor Project podcast, where we link healthcare providers of all specialties to help us grow and learn from each other to be that much better for our patients. We sit down and talk about the fun things, the big and bright ideas, and we go over tons of practice tips and occasionally cover some pretty scandalous topics. Join us every episode to keep growing to become the best provider you can be. Let's get started. Today's episode is sponsored by The Smart Chiropractor and their new book, The Payday Practice. So I'm sure you guys have heard of Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, and Tim Ferriss. How do you think they would build the ultimate healthcare practice? The answer is in this book, The Payday Practice. Doctors Jeff and Jason will show you how to cover your monthly expenses in one day, every single month, guaranteed. Whether you want to grow financially to support your physical practice or create the digital healthcare practice of the future, this book is your blueprint for building it, launching it, and growing it. As someone who is currently in the process of building my own private practice, I knew I had to share this with you guys. Get your free copy today at www.thepaydaypractice.com. Their step-by-step guide to financial freedom will show you how to one, set your dream, visions, and goals using their financial freedom formula, two, build a health tribe of people who are engaged and ready to go all in with your business, three, create an irresistible membership offer for your clients and patients, and four, launch and sell out your membership in the next 30 days. The Payday Practice will show you the exact step-by-step process that you can use to generate monthly recurring revenue in your practice. Get your free copy today at www.thepaydaypractice.com. I also recommend checking them out at The Smart Chiropractor on Facebook and also Instagram at The Smart Chiro for more amazing knowledge to take your practice to the next level. Today's episode contains discussions related to suicide and sexual trauma. Both are very sensitive topics to discuss for many and can sometimes trigger intense emotions and thoughts. If you or anyone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or behaviors, please direct them to your healthcare provider immediately and the suicide hotline, which is 988. If someone's safety is in immediate danger, please dial 911. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Better Doctor Project. We are here with Emmabel Hodges, and we're really excited to have you on the show because we have a pretty important discussion tonight. So thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So to all of our listeners, the reason why this episode is so important, all of our episodes are great because these are conversations that really need discussion and they're just not talked about often in healthcare training or even post-training. But this topic specifically, we're going to talk about anxiety and depression, but more importantly, how that can sometimes transition into the dreaded things like suicidal thoughts, even possibly a suicidal attempt with some of our patients. And I think the reason why this is such a difficult topic in healthcare is truly because it's missing from our training. And a lot of us are exposed to this, and I cannot wait to tap into your experiences and your knowledge on this. But before we dive in deep, I would love for you to just give our listeners a little bit about your background, how you got here, and what you're passionate about. Yeah, of course. So I really started wanting to go into healthcare after my mother-in-law passed away. Um, I had worked with children previously in daycare settings and volunteering at like church and children's ministry. And I always loved working with children. And I felt like the first step to going into the healthcare field would be getting my CNA license and being a certified nursing assistant. So I did that 
shortly after she passed away, um, it was right in the middle of COVID. So things were very stressful. Um, but I got my CNA license and I worked with adults for about nine months, I would say, to get my foot in the door and just really get settled into being a new CNA. And I transitioned into working with pediatrics about five months ago. And yeah, I just, I have a passion with working with children and I know that's what I'm meant to do. That's amazing. What's your favorite part about working with them instead of adults? Like what is the biggest drive? (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of different things. Um, I would say you really can tell that you're making a child's day. I think a little bit more than with adults because Mm -hmm. children do not hold back at all. And they're not (laughs) afraid to say what they think in the moment. And I've just had so many children tell me like, you're my favorite. I don't want you to go and tell me how much I've meant to them. And that's just so heartwarming to know that I've made even a little impact in their life. I love it. We could probably learn a thing or two from that, you know, being regular in our communication, even as adults, you know, just simply expressing emotion and letting people know they're appreciated. I mean, even as adults, we know that that's lacking. So right, that's a good reminder that we should be like them. (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) Now in your experiences, both, you know, in healthcare and even in ministry, Can you just give our listeners some examples and maybe some stories that you've encountered of, let's start with anxiety and depression uh, in pediatrics, but what are some examples that you've come across, things that we can look out for, maybe if we're less familiar on the subject? Yeah, so a lot of people don't expect pediatrics to have as much anxiety and depression as it does. But what I've found is that, especially right now with COVID still being a thing, um, these kids have had such a lack of activities and involvement with other children and it's making them have more depressive episodes Mm -hmm. and it showcases in them not acting like themselves, not wanting to be around their parents or just really do much. Um, I feel like with the anxiety aspect of things, there's a lot of pressure on children and it doesn't really come from the parents all the time. I think, especially with social media, I've seen TikTok and Instagram just really wreak havoc on these kids and make them feel like they're not doing good enough because they're not TikTok famous. They're not Instagram famous. And it's just so sad to see young children just so anxious and feeling like they're not good enough and feeling like they're not worthy of love and care and attention and feeling like they don't deserve good things because they're not kind of reaching the expectations that society is putting on them. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And as a CNA too, remind me what setting that you're primarily working in. So I do work in pediatrics in a pediatric hospital in a hospital. Okay. So give us some examples of the types of patients that you're encountering, you know, what medical conditions you're dealing with primarily, what kind of floor you're on, um, and then maybe an anxiety attack or episode, something that you noticed on the floor and the best way you've learned how to handle those situations in that office visit. Yeah. Um, so I actually work in what we call the float pool. So I don't have like a direct 
floor, I get floated around to all of the floors. That's awesome. So I really like it just because I get to experience all the different types of pediatrics. So we have like neonatal ICU, which I don't go there too much, but we have um, primarily like general pediatrics. We have an ICU. um, We have the hematology and oncology. And we also have the pediatric adolescents and we have our ER. We have a pediatric emergency department. And I would say I primarily go to the ER and probably the adolescent floor and the cancer floor the most. And um, that's where that we get a lot of the uh, anxiety, depression, psychiatry type of patients. Um, recently, I did have a patient. Um, I've actually seen some anxiety and depression and even in children under 10, like we've had a lot of children under 10 that have been dealing with it, but I'm seeing it definitely primarily in like the teenagers, I would say. And recently we did have a teenager that I was sitting with because as a CNA, we sit in the rooms of patients that have like really severe mental illness, just as a safety precaution. So I was sitting in the room with the patient and she started trying to um, choke herself. And yeah, so it was very traumatic to see it kind of firsthand, especially I was the only one in the room with her. And I just, my heart broke, but I immediately told myself, like, I need to take action in this situation. So my first thing to do was I really just got on her level and I told her, like, you are worthy, you are loved, you are strong, you're going to get through this. And I know encouraging words, that's something that everyone needs, more encouragement. So I really just told her that this is hitting her breaking point and it can only go up from here. Because once you hit your low lows, you'll get to your high highs. And I, of course, called the nurse and let her know everything that was going on. And she was doing a lot better after that, um, pretty much for the rest of the day. And we just gave her activities to really, like, distract her. Because I've noticed that these children that have any, like, negative thoughts or just negative feelings and emotions. A lot of times if you give something that will distract them and not make them think about all of the negative thoughts, which is so hard mm-hmm. to not think about, <laughs> um, but giving like a puzzle or like playing a game or just doing something to get their mind off of it and not be in that dark place all the time. It really does help them have like a glimmer of hope. Yeah. That's a good reminder. I mean, as adults, we kind of try to do the same thing. Oh yeah. Uh, the things we distract ourselves with sometimes are also unhealthy, but, <laughs> um, right. but, but you're right. I mean, I've never considered that, um, with a pediatric patient, that's a, a very good thing to do just to get their mind off it in that moment, especially right. if they're having an outward attack, like that poor, yes. poor kid was, yeah. what, are, what are office protocols like after that point? You know, wh- when that has happened, you get the nurse involved, you were able to get the patient calm, then what? I mean, what's next? 
Yeah. Um, so really after that, it's just making sure you have that one-on-one with the patient and keeping the safety checks. So we actually have like a um, sheet of paper that we have to fill out. And every 15 minutes we have to put like where the patient is in the room, what they're doing, how they're acting. And we also have to inform the doctor and they pretty much send the like psychiatry team in to help and talk to them and just walk them through everything that happened and dissect what the trigger was. Um, So I think learning the triggers is the most important thing. Um, Some children have more triggers than others and some have like one distinct trigger that just sets them off. And we've learned that figuring out the triggers and knowing to not allow anything to trigger them, that's really important. Absolutely. And I'm assuming that similarly to, you know, being referred to a specialist or following up with your primary care, I'm assuming there's probably some kind of follow-up where they have to have a visit outside the hospital or is that? Right. Okay. Right. Yes. And we do have like a um, inpatient pediatric psych unit. So um, if they feel that it is necessary for the child to go there, then they'll send them there for a short stay, or they might refer them to like outpatient psychiatry or something like that. So they can just go somewhere to have like more in-depth psychology counseling and guidance for a little bit. And I've heard a lot of people say that it is just wonderful for the children to be around other children that are struggling because they feel so much less alone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can already tell just because your demeanor is very calm and relaxing Mm -hmm. and caring that you would definitely be a great person in those situations. And something I love to do when I record these episodes is I like to take my guest through a good and bad situation. You know, when something, when something like this happens, for example, the, the, was it a young girl? A teenager. Okay. A teenage girl, a teenage girl who's going through what you just mentioned. She ends up trying to choke herself. You obviously handled that incredibly well. You got on that patient's level. You used encouraging words. You got the appropriate um, other professionals involved who needed to be. Could you give us some examples? I know it might be difficult, but give us some examples of things not to do because sometimes healthcare providers of all all specialties, sometimes we do things that are instinct or that we did maybe learn in our training that might be outdated or just might not be the best choice of action. Can you think of any examples of something that would be detrimental in that situation? Yeah. I would say one of the biggest things is not to say the words calm down. Um, Mm -hmm. That is something I think years and years and years ago saying, oh, calm down. It's going to be okay. It was, it seemed to be a gentler approach, but now saying calm down, it almost seems like a negative Mm -hmm. approach because saying someone needs to calm down makes them think that they're doing something wrong. Right. And in this situation, the child, or even if it's an adult, they're not necessarily doing something wrong. They don't feel like they could control it. Exactly. And it's very important to remind yourself that 
if they could just snap their fingers and calm down, then they absolutely would. Mm, So it's important to, right. It's not that easy. And it's just so important to remember that they don't want to be doing this. Mm. They don't want this. And yeah. So just not telling them to calm down, not saying like, you're going to be fine. Everything's fine. It's just so important to not belittle them in the midst of it, just to remind them that they are loved, they're strong, that they can get through this and they will get through this and that you're here for them. I love that. Thank you so much. I think it's, it's, it's just so nice to hear the right things to say sometimes because we can get clouded. You know, some, some healthcare specialties deal with this all the time and some don't. So let's say you had an episode in your practice 10 years ago, and then you have one now, the way you do respond can change over time. So it's a great reminder that we should definitely be changing our words. Oh yeah, definitely. Words are so strong and they are. People don't realize that. (laughs) They really are. I would love to switch gears now and talk about, you know, something a little bit more difficult even. I think we need to talk about that fine line and when it gets crossed. Um, Anxiety and depression is rampant across the world, but especially the United States. Um, But we are seeing an uptick even in the younger population when it comes to suicidal attempts um, and just suicidal thoughts in general. Um, and this topic is near and dear to my heart because of my training at a VA hospital. And most, a lot of my patients either had had a former attempt, um, if they didn't, maybe they had a lot of PTSD and that was something we were continually monitoring. And this was just something that just really crushed me during my time working there. And I would just love to know from your thoughts, especially working at the hospital, what we should do in that moment when a patient either comes out and says that they're having something like that or dealing with those kinds of thoughts. Um, I know personally on my patient intake form, there's actually in the review of systems, the ROS section, there's actually a section that does say under neuro previous history of suicidal attempts. And that patient can check that off without even having to be face to face with me. Um, So sometimes even before walking into that room, I know if someone has had that issue in the past, which is helpful and opens up that door for discussion. Um, But whether a patient says it, they put, they put it on a piece of paper, or if you just suspect it, what are some ways that we can in that moment, make a difference and start that conversation? Yeah, so I have had quite a few patients with like a attempt or the thoughts. Um, I think it's just so important to not make them feel bad about it. Um, and with pediatrics, a lot of times they will have a family member there. And so we have to navigate how can we help this patient And how can we also help their family member that's going through the fact that my child just tried to take their own life. And sometimes we've even seen the parents, they're angry at their child. And it's like, you can understand why they would be upset and angry in one way, because they don't want to imagine not having their child. But in another way, it's, it's just hard to wrap your mind around like getting upset in that moment kind of, but it's, 
really difficult to know what to do in the moment. I, for me, whenever I've known that they've had an attempt or if I've suspected it or anything like that, we go through a protocol where we do um, take any dangerous objects out of the rooms. Um, We make sure that there's nothing that they could use to harm themselves while they're in there. So that's definitely a big safety precaution for us. Um, The ones that have had an attempt, sometimes they're not medically cleared. So they do have to keep some of the medical materials and stuff in there. But we always make sure we have a safety sitter with them. Um, But in the moment, it's always so hard to know exactly what to say or what to do to help them. because sometimes they might not really be in their right mind if they've just had an attempt. Um, We've had some that were not in their right mind. Um, I had a patient that tried to go to the bathroom and it was a girl old enough to go to the bathroom. I mean, but I had to try to like help her. She ended up needing two people to help her to the bathroom just because she was so disoriented. And I think it's just hard to know that this patient took those measures and they didn't want to be here. But at the same time, you know, you're there to help them. So whatever you can do in that moment to help them is what you need to do. So taking out anything that they could use to harm themselves, making sure that they know they're safe and making sure that their family knows they're safe. And that's what I always tell the patients that you're safe here. You're not going to be hurt here. Whatever happened to trigger you to do this, it's not going to do it here because we'll make sure that we can help you. I like that a lot. And I like that you made it about the person and the environment because it's good to know not only are there good people around me, but it's this place that I can trust because that's huge because some of these people, you know, things are hurting them in their home it doesn't matter if their parents love them or not. You know, their parents are in the house sometimes when these things happen and to feel that the environment is also safe is really, really crucial. Yes, definitely. I, now that I'm no longer at the VA and I'm in private practice, private practice is obviously very different from the hospital when it comes to these things. But as a chiropractor, I've obviously been able to develop relationships with a lot of my patients. We generally see them more than one time. Um, and I'll never forget one case. Um, he's probably maybe in his early sixties and a brand new patient seeing me for just a classic nonspecific low back pain. And I was able to see on his patient intake that he did have a history of a suicidal attempt, which I think in my five years, I've only had two or three, maybe. Um, and I remember seeing that and I, I almost like put on my VA cap (laughs) again, because it, it, it immediately takes me back to that place. And I, I see the damage that these things can truly cause. So I walked in and, um, you know, I, I go through what I need to go through. I generally like to save these kinds of topics for the middle to end of my new patient visit, just because we've, you know, gained a sense of trust at that point. But once I'm done with all the nitty gritty, I like to just kind of pause. If I'm looking at the computer, I turn around or I I just make sure I'm 100% facing that patient. In this case, that gentleman. And I say, you know, I I see on your patient intake, you did mention a history of a suicidal attempt. Are you currently 
you know, meeting with a therapist, I, I ask a question about past and current, you know, did you receive some medical attention during that time for that? Um, how is your current state of anxiety and depression? And then the most important question I like to ask is, are you currently struggling with any suicidal thoughts or ideations? Because yes, it's wonderful that his suicidal attempt was many years ago, but how many people are asking him if he's having any issues right now? And right. I, I will never forget his response because after we went through all of that, we just kind of had a pause, right. As I'm beginning to start treatment and he goes, thank you for asking me those hard questions. And it's in that moment, you know, sometimes we get into the mundane reality of healthcare being monotonous and, you know, we check off these boxes and we do these things because it's the right thing to do. But in that moment, it was like, he was reminding me asking these questions really does matter. Yeah. And it's, it's great when they're doing well. I love when they tell me they have a therapist. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm just like, thank goodness. If you don't, we'll find you one. Um, right. And you know, if they do or don't, it's always good to say when's the last time you saw them. Um, I also like to kind of throw in, if you ever need help in the future, do you feel like you can easily contact that person? Um, and even if they're set, they're good to go. They're even, you know, some people are like, oh, I meet with my therapist every two weeks. That's wonderful. But you and I can both agree it's important to say, if you ever have anything that you need in the future, I want you to know that I'm here for you and you can always come to me when you're struggling. And even though they have plenty of people in their corner, even if it sounds like that, they're, they're never, it never hurts to add one more. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So how have you, I mean, obviously dealing with something like this, especially in the world of pediatrics, it can probably be a lot on your heart. And I know that I'm personally an empath as well. And, you know, we love and we care for our patients. You know, most of us go into the healthcare world specifically to help other people. But over time, this, this can take a lot of toll on our hearts and our minds and our bodies. What suggestions do you have on how to counteract that? What are ways to cope that you've learned throughout your time working with these kids? Yeah. Um, that's probably one of the hardest things and probably the most important thing I've tried to learn over the past little bit. Um, even recently I took, um, a PTO day just for mental health because recently I've just had some really, really hard cases that hit so close to home for me. Um, one little thing about me is I am a sexual assault victim. Um, and I had a child that also had been sexually assaulted at the same age I was. And in that moment, it's hard to separate the two. It's hard to separate yourself and your own trauma from your patient and your patient's trauma. Yes. But what I've learned is I've grabbed enough strength and I honestly just thank God for this. <laughs> he, <laughs> I think he's giving me the strength to be able to use my triumph through it all and getting through it and my story to help anyone that goes through the same thing. But even that day after I left, I remember I just got in the car and I cried. and. At first, I was like, why am I crying? This is so crazy. But then I really sat there and I thought about it. I said, it's okay to cry. 
it's okay to feel your feelings. It's okay for these cases to break your heart because they're heartbreaking. Yeah. And it can really take a toll on your mental health if you don't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's why the other day I really just felt like I need to take a mental health day. I need to do something that's going to distract the noise that I'm hearing sometimes. And that entire day, I just cleaned my house. <laughs> um, so just finding whatever helps you to relax and de-stress and to not think about what goes on at work is the perfect thing for if you're dealing with mental health patients. Because I know for me personally, I have anxiety. And when I deal with patients that also have anxiety, it's like, I have to learn how to not let their anxiety trigger my anxiety. And it can be really, really hard sometimes. But it's kind of like you have to turn your mind off when you go into work and then turn it back on when you leave work. Right. And those patients need you to be strong for them. And I know that little girl who had gone through something similar at the same age she probably will look back and remember how fortunate she was to have had you as a provider in her world that day. I mean, truly someone who can understand exactly what she's going through at that time. I mean, what are are the odds of that? I mean, that, that is actually, that's so powerful. That, I mean, I just remember when I heard her talking about it, I was just like, yep, I think God meant for me to be in this room today, even though it was so hard and it does bring up some really tough trauma. It's a reminder of how far I've come and it's a, it just helped me know how far this girl's going to come. Yeah. And she can and see how, that in you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I just remember um, when I first told her a little bit of my story, she almost couldn't believe it, but I just, I wanted to make sure she knew that she wasn't alone. And it's so sad that this happens as often as it does to these young kids. Well, I, I, I can say that I have hope because if we get more healthcare providers in our world like you, these kids have a huge chance. And healthcare is a very rewarding career, but we need the right people in that career path to help these patients. Patients more than ever. They need support. They need guidance. They need strength. They need positive, encouraging words. Um, And so we need people filling these roles who have the mentality that you do and who have the compassion that you do. And uh, to all of our listeners who are listening to this episode right now, I just, I think it's important we kind of reflect within and see how we can be that kind of provider to all of our patients. Some people you can definitely tell need it more than others. And some people might not even realize they need a little extra love in their their lives until they meet you and you're full of it. You're full of that love and they're so ready to accept it. I, I just love that. Right. Yeah. I know it's, Healthcare, especially now, it's just mm-hmm. so full of ups and downs yes. and you never know what to expect and it's constantly changing. But I think overall, the first and most important thing is to take care of your patient and whether that means you have to be on your A game and you have to just go in with an open mind sometimes and just 
fake it till you make it sometimes. I've learned that. Um, it's not always easy to go into these rooms and even with like some of the aggressive patients that I've had that deal with such strong anxiety, it causes some aggression. It's, you never know what to expect. And it's important to go in and remind yourself like you're here for a reason. And that reason is to take care of them and just remind yourself that they are here for help. They're here because they're sick in one way or another. And mental health is a sickness just as much as a physical sickness. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, I can tell you're going to do some wonderful things you already have, and you definitely picked a great career path. So congrats on that. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. I think your mother-in-law would be very proud. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap up this episode, do you mind just giving us a couple of resources our listeners can head to to learn more about this topic and suicide in general and anxiety and depression? Yes. So I definitely would say um, go online and if you just simply Google like the suicide hotline and you click on that very first link, it just tells you so much about like numbers you can call, different resources you can check out. It has so many helpful articles to look at for anxiety and depression. Um, And I think it's just one of the best resources that we've given all of our patients is anytime you need any help with anything, you can call the suicide hotline. Even if you're not feeling in that moment that suicide thoughts, you can call and just get some help. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for all of this information. This is such an important topic and we have been thrilled to have you on the show tonight. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. To learn more, find us on Instagram or Facebook at Better Doctor Project or check out our website, betterdoctorproject.com. Don't forget to leave us a review and share us with a friend. It helps us reach more healthcare providers who are also striving to make an impact. Thanks again. See you next time.